The Koi Gig Pod. We were too quick to drop off 3v1. That's been a problem that we actually stopped against Scotland because Niamh Fahey stepped in to stop Caroline Weir. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership and much more live on Sky Sports. And you're welcome back to Off The Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five this evening. This is Football Saturday all the way until five. And remember, football on Off The Ball brought to you by Sky. Watch big games from the Women's Super League live on Sky Sports. You can text us 53106. Tweet us at Off The Ball. We're streaming the conversation. Listen across the country on your radio and news talk, but also watch us, if you like, on the Off The Ball digital and social channels on Twitter, on YouTube, on Facebook, and on the OTB Sports app. We're joined in studio by the broadcaster and journalist Johnny Ward and on the line by the former Republic of Ireland international David Myler and Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent, who's in Malta. How do you feel, folks, about this World Cup in Guitar? Listeners out there, are you less excited because of where it's been held and everything that's happened, all the controversy, or are you just fine with it? Can we be excited? Are we allowed to be excited? Being held in a tiny country with no football tradition, no history, as a state project to project power, where thousands of migrant workers have died in the construction of these stadiums. It's been staged in a nation where homosexuality is illegal. Women are treated as second-class citizens, and there's a tainted aspect about how they got it in the first place. The stench of corruption all over the uh, kingmakers of the FIFA Executive Committee at the time when the uh, tournament was awarded in 2010. So... In terms of the football, out there, listeners, who's your idea of the winner? What are your predictions for the Golden Boost? Dark Horses, your player of the finals? Get in touch. We'll give the best ones a shout out. And also, what did you make of the Republic of Ireland against Norway on Thursday night? A good crowd at the Viva Stadium. Are you keeping the faith or are you tearing your hair out when it comes to the national team? So, Johnny, I think like most of us, I think we're we're kind of almost with trepidation about a, a, an event that really is a signpost for a lot of people's lives that we all remember the first World Cup we watched and we're going into World Cup in November, December and it should not be in Qatar, we all know that. But I wonder within a week's time will we all be sucked into it? And will we have various thoughts in our mind that we shouldn't be watching this but we will? Yeah, like it's not... Whether you watch it or not is neither here nor there really. It's it's happening. It's not going to make any real change to the Qatari regime or anything like that. So just watch it away and it doesn't make any odds to... The, the horse is bolted here in this utterly absurd World Cup where reportedly 200 billion has been spent on you know a football tournament that isn't going to leave any legacy whatsoever in a country that um, you know has a lot of money a lot of um, migrants um, making up most of the population and if you were to bring a World Cup to the Middle East um, I mean why you would bring it to a tiny country essentially a World Cup run in a city um, it's not going to leave any legacy uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of disgusted the more it goes on, JD, and obviously you have to give a cursory sort of account of who you think might do well, and the football sort of narratives in this are actually many, um, they're compelling, you know, Messi, could he finally win the World Cup, could England put their woes behind them, Kylian Mbappe, Ronaldo, there's an awful lot going on, um, but it's a sideshow, and it's uh, despicable, really, like when you see, you know, FIFA basically bleeding, um, they're kind of, uh, I guess they're bleeding any sense that you have in their decency dry even further as the contest nears and you know funnily enough I got a 
I got a texter from a friend in Iran today who texted me what appears to be um, a, a dress code kind of uh, placard in Qatar as to how you should dress going into the stadium, which will be interesting because I see there being potential protests during the games that there's potentially climate protests, stuff like that, because I think it's such a great stage to make a protest. And the thing about the beer is sort of a sideshow. I find the whole World Cup, um, I find it quite despicable. And I suppose the other night, the I saw the first leg of the documentary on Italia 90, which is on, I think, Sky. I watched that, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm I'm now in my forties, um, and as you get older, you're like, you know, it's it, you can never really recapture that magic of Italian ninety, what it was as a seven year old me. But to see Toto Scalacci look so fresh, and to see him, you know, almost like play the goals with his dad uh, as as happened in 1990 and his dad looked really fresh kind of gave me so much life life that has been sucked out of me with the thought of this World Cup Dan you're in Malta head of the Republic of Ireland's game tomorrow night Um, Gianni Infantino the FIFA president gave quite a bizarre press conference today yeah well they're not really succeeding in um, taking the attention off themselves and like that I mean, listen, that's that's the way it should be in the context of this hosting. Like the story of the tournament is is this, it's the backdrop, it's where it's taken place. Um uh, I don't know like what was going on with that speech, you know. Like I mean, I know a lot of people probably haven't seen the full speech. They've only sort of uh, picked out the best bits and the highlights and the clips, but if it was uh, viewed in some way as an attempt to like diffuse um sort of the storm you know the the the, the, you know, the around the their staging of the of the tournament in in Qatar it, it hasn't succeeded um like this is the problem like a lot of people probably watched you know various documentaries and stuff about like FIFA and their abuse of power and how the competition ended up there um and the whole overriding theme is very much like an organization like that runs football uh, that at the top end of it is out of touch uh, with reality and that clip, you know, that speech earlier, um, and it's sort of a almost trying to equate, you know, his his childhood plight with his sort of, a, you know, with his red hair, with, with that of like the, the serious stuff we're we're speaking about here. I mean, like it's just it's, it's absurd, and like even even to sort of like you can sort of poke fun at the, the absurdity of it, but obviously it's sort of there's a serious point behind the whole thing. Um, and like you know, this is you know, Infantino is 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 supposed to represent in some ways, um, or, or likes to maybe position himself in some ways as like some some kind of reformer or some kind of face of a new FIFA. When actually, um, people just look at that and go, it's the same old, same old. Yeah, he's accused the West of hypocrisy and um, talked about the uh, Europeans maybe apologising for what they've been doing for the last three thousand years around the world and. Uh should be apologising for the next 3,000 years before giving moral lessons. See, there's, there's, there is, you can engage a bit in what about in the sense that like Qatar... This was a, this was a masterclass. In yeah, it was, I mean, I, 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 it's actually, it's, it's partridge stuff how far he went with this. And you can engage in like, homosexuality was illegal in Ireland until not that, re- not that long ago. So like, and we have, we weren't a perfect country either. And you know, you can engage in Qatar isn't the worst regime in the Middle East by any means. But when you have the England players like clearly really struggling and training with the heat and you think of migrant workers working like say 14 hour days in the summer heat in horrible horrible conditions to make these stadia in, and and they if they die they're forgotten about JD to make stadia for this stupid tournament that shouldn't be taking place in a country for which you will have no legacy that seemingly cost 200 billion what do they have like four, 400,000 locals actually living in Qatar some of them singing like football's coming home like they've never heard the song before not having it 
Yeah, like it's nothing wrong with it going to the Arab world. I mean, that it could be a good thing. If Morocco, Morocco and Algeria would be, you know, uh, places where you could have had the World Cup in Morocco been so many times, but it's for the wrong country, for the wrong reasons, with the stench of money all over it. David, you're a, a retired footballer. Can you separate all of this uh, despicability from the actual football? I don't think you can. It's just you look at the conditions those workers that Johnny's speaking about have worked in and they still are working in. Um, even there was videos circulating on social media of, you know, pavement, pavements not completed that looked like dangerous. You just look at the whole concept, even the way they treat like the LBGT, you know, community, whatever that may be, like um, how they treat them. The whole thing is just, it's just a mess. And then like to have the World Cup in November, December, like I understand the position that the players are in. Like, look, if I was still playing and Ireland qualified, you'd be super excited to go and play in a World Cup. If Ireland went there, I'd be supporting them. Yes, these facts would would still be there and it, it still would be a problem. And um, the whole thing is wrong. It just shows, like you spoke with the documentary that FIFA have done. I watched that like and I tweeted about it and people kind of said, oh, well, what did you think was going on? It was going on for so long that so many people thought something was wrong, but they never knew. And then you kind of find out the extent of what was going on. Like in the whole thing of like uh, Michel Platini getting called in by the French president um, because I think it was the Qatari king's son was in the room or something. And then the Qataris buy Paris Saint-Germain, they sell him firefighters and all this. Like the whole thing is just, it's just a mess. Um, but like the worst part about it is once the football kicks off, we're going to watch the football and... To a certain extent, a lot of these issues will be pushed to the side because people will, will get behind the football and watch the football. There's such a disconnect, Dan, isn't there, between what football should represent and a, the the joy that it brings to humanity and the ugliness of, of FIFA. And to be honest, I, I, I'm so depressed about it because I can just see Saudi Arabia winning that bid now for 2030. Do you think, yeah? Yeah, I, I mean, think so. I, I think so. I, I, I don't know. Like, I suppose, yeah, some of the Infantino stuff, like, I mean... Um, attacking Europe, and and as as has been pointed out, like just valid points uh, contained within it, but it's also, I mean, he's not actually. I, I'd say it's it's for votes, except it doesn't actually have anyone up against him. But like you know, the whole growth of the the super FIFA president has been to some degree, uh, like sort of a, a parish pump approach to like FIFA politics in the sense that you know they they don't care about us in Europe, you know, and they sort of bring it to sort of they bring it around the world. And they say things that would play well for them in that sphere and retain their their sort of uh, retain their status as as FIFA for all. Um, even though you know that's not going to be the case. But I I know what you're saying about the Saudi stuff. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I I'm I I I know that this never underestimate uh, the way a FIFA bidding process can go. And, and I know they've changed the structure now. It's not an executive committee. It's sort of a everyone has a vote but another way of looking at this like you know qatar it's a sort of a show of strength for them to to win the hosting and um, but everyone in the world now or like a large portion of people in the world are probably you know talking about um situations in qatar they weren't aware of previously like it's actually shone a light on um how things operate there um, and the people talk about sports washing as something that improves a reputation of a of a place in some ways it's 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 putting on the map for the wrong reasons and now will that 
uh, <laughs> you know, have any impact in, in terms of like decisions that are made around future tournaments. Like, would FIFA really welcome uh, a Saudi World Cup where the build-up is again dominated by this? Look, maybe they'll just brazen it out and maybe they would. Um, but I wouldn't be 100% convinced that it would go that way. Yeah, well, I hope you're right. Uh, 53106 Guitar is going to win the World Cup. Who else? They've defied FIFA in the no beer ban. It's going to be a passing interest, says Kevin. It's only called time to watch more MLS, says Kevin. Um, the beer ban really just seems quite inconsequential, actually. But it's, it's really, it's not about the beer ban. It's about that they change it two days out. Yeah, it is. There is, a, there is a kind of a fire festival theme to some of it. And some of the images you see of the fan area, it sounds like they've really rushed this to get it in. And they're kind of making last-ditch decisions that um, maybe reflect that they're either not entirely ready or they have to be true to the customs of the country. And this is a conservative country. You know, it's um, they do not have people coming over, um, you know, hammering Budweiser into them at a football game. And I don't know how the power is going to work over there in terms of the local police and we saw during the week you know media being accosted who were basically just doing their job at a roundabout or whatever um, they're just not used to this Dan does make a, a good point It's it has shone a light on Qatar in the sense that they probably uh, didn't want but um, they've, spent, they've essentially spent what 200 billion of cash that they've basically made from selling oil thereby destroying the planet and producing a World Cup that will have no legacy whatsoever uh, it's a great argument, isn't it, for energy independence? <laughs> it is, Shady. But you know what I was thinking, and you're, the texter in mentioned the MLS. Like, we we have that image of John Aldridge, who has, of course, scored that goal in Malta all those years ago as Ireland played Malta tomorrow. John Aldridge fighting um, on the pitch when we played Mexico, and the heat was an issue over there. But the legacy of that World Cup was that soccer really took off in the States, and it was basically played in stadia that already existed. Like, it was a perfect World Cup in so many ways. Look at this one. Yeah, and then the next tournament will be the state. So yeah, you're speaking of Malta, Dan. You're in Malta. This is a, it's as low key as, as it can get probably for the Republic of Ireland, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's the big one. It's the big one of the weekend, John. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm just sitting here waiting for the the press conferences that are going to start soon enough. So okay. I'll be uh, heading off, but well, not 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 quite soon enough. I wouldn't say the the anticipation is building uh, around Malta, but it is strange. I suppose it's in some ways these friendlies are like reflective of how uh, modern football is fueled as well too. Um, there was a certain degree of pressure on on nations to try and play uh, two games in this window. It's all sort of pretty much linked with sort of centralised TV rights deals and various commitments and games you need to play. Um, and that's why you're seeing these friendlies sandwiched in. Like FDI would always have been keen to uh, play a game in Dublin, you know, and, and obviously Norway wasn't the, the game they were hoping for in the sense of Haaland being absent. But um, the idea of a second game, um, was there was sort of a degree of pressure that you should you should do it, um, and even like Stephen Kenny the other night, um, you know you're speaking in realistic terms. Like, what what are you really going to gain from playing Malta? But I suppose the attitude is it's better than nothing. You know, it's better to play a game and get a chance to give players minutes um, than not. Um, but in terms of what you actually expect from the game, um, it's it's unclear. We'll probably learn a little bit more. Now, um, but we saw Evan Ferguson thrown in for a couple of minutes um, on on Thursday, and maybe there might be more minutes for fringe players. But in terms of um, taking some big meaning from it, in terms of sort of uh, you know taking the lessons from Malta in the into the new year, and um, you wouldn't be so sure. You know, I suppose there have been times in the last year, um, think of Armenia for example, um, where Ireland have struggled to break down. Uh, inferior sides, uh, you know, away from away from home. So maybe in some ways you you can look at that and see 
can you can you can you learn some kind of lesson in some way but beyond that it's hard to really place any great importance i mean just the, the pure fact that it's it's, a, it's an international friendly taking place a few hours after the beginning of the world cup it sort of drives home that you're very much uh very uh, much off broadway off broadway yeah, I, know, I was I, literally just saying that John. i know you are you okay I know he's, in, mouth, he's yeah. in malta but dan sounds like he's kind of like he's really cushioned his voice today he's talking quite low as if he's preparing for qatar and he doesn't want to speak too loud in case somebody overhears and giving <laughs> out about the regime over there well no it's it's just a yeah it's it's, it's a more uh, it's a more library feel today johnny but it's, it looks uh, like you're no, in a courtroom or something yeah well i mean the course of stephen kenny <laughs> Hopefully that's not important of things to come. Um, well, anyway, <laughs> gotten the bad jokes out of the way. Anyway. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say, well, with the Middle Eastern team, I'm surprised not playing on man. But uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that was the, the, the joke. The joke. The joke I, I had. But... To the bottom of that. Hey, David Miter has got five caps against him. I'd say. I've got. I've got a few. I've got a few. Yeah. Uh, I think I've got two. Uh, Dan, just from the other night, what were the what were the fans? What was the fans' reaction to the Norway? If there was a reaction to the defeat. Um, I don't know. I mean, like I'm sure, I'm sure as ever, like the text lines will will uh, represent. The I think they've all taken a day the, off, to be honest. They'll, they'll represent the views of the middle ground. Um, nah, like indifference was the primary feeling. I think in the, in the first half, it was like a, a a game played out to the home of discussion, um, and that was sort of uh, that was the atmosphere. Now, a bit of football broke out in the second half. Ireland lost the game. It was bit deflating you know i suppose in the context of some of the chat you know from stephen kenny across the year where let's make dublin a fortress um has dublin ever really been a fortress for home international friendlies in november i'm not so sure um but you would have been hoping for more i think like you know ireland crowds have been very good this year uh, in general um you know there was over forty thousand at the armenia game um, in saying that, I'm sure a lot of people got tickets for Thursday with Haaland in mind and there was a sense of disappointment there. And you're sort of thinking, you know, Kenny spoke beforehand about doing these supporters justice, giving them a bit of a show. Uh, and then you, you serve up like a pretty grim opening half. But I mean, look, David's there. He can talk more about the mentality of players when it comes to these type of friendlies relative to competitive games. I know every player in a press conference will come out and say every game for your country is important and uh, every game you know, matters. And I, I totally believe that they, they feel that way, but it's hard to sort of manufacture uh, intensity. And we all know that when France come to town in March, it's going to be a full house. It'll be a different game. Um, and I don't know how you can apply too much from, from Thursday um, to that. There's little things. I mean, he, he's, he's not experimenting dramatically. He looks pretty set on the system now. Um, and, you know, it was 74 minutes till he met a sub. So, there's clearly an element of like, this is the way it's going to be, um, but it wasn't a great execution of that on Thursday. Dan, we'll let you go for the moment and hope to have you back after the press conference and uh, get your predictions for the World Cup in Qatar. Uh, David, can we better can we do better than we are at the moment? Like we conceded both goals to set pieces the other night. Maybe the second one was unfortunate for Nathan Collins, but um, are we better than this? Of course, we could do better. Um, I think. If you look back on any Irish team going over the years, we can always we could have always done better. I think the frustrating thing from the other night was now I didn't see the full game. I saw extended kind of parts of it, and I saw clips of, after. Like we're building up, um, our build up playing up from the back is improving all the time. I do feel that I think players are getting more familiar with the way Stephen wants to build out. I think players are more the players he's playing are more suitable to the system. Um, like obviously Josh Cullen is a massive part of that. 
but I think it's once we engage into the opponent's half, that's where, you know, once we enter that kind of final third area, that's where our breakdown is. Now, the other night he had Alan Brown and Jason Malumbi ahead. Instead of playing as two number eights, they kind of played as tens. They were too high up and they limited the space with Callum Robinson and um, Michael Obafemi. There was nowhere for them to go. Now, that caused us a problem where, you know, they were deep. Uh, Norway, they, they were compact. There was no spaces. And the players almost ran out of ideas. Yeah, we just uh, lost David for the moment there. Johnny, uh, I'm just kind of thinking to myself, there are legitimate issues with football in the country, the lack of an industry here, the lack of top quality international players that play at the Premier League level. But it just seems to be uh, there's a momentum problem with the Irish team at the moment. We just can't get momentum. And maybe friendlies don't matter in that regard, but... Yeah, um... Norway are a decent side, you know. They, uh, I thought Odegaard was, you know, just showed his absolute class at times, and um, they, they sort of turned up for the game, and it should have probably been a draw. Like, let's be honest, we conceded from two set pieces. Um, I thought the first one, um, you know, you have nobody on the, either post, but it just it's not that well defended, I think. And Stephen Kenny obviously to take questions um, about it, but I know what you're saying, JD. It's kind of you're looking at Stephen Kenny trying to change like the way we played for the guts of 30 years and he's trying to change it and it is taking time as David says or I thought our pass now at the back was better but we still have an issue if it breaks down we, we look so vulnerable I think and I still think midfield is an issue Malumbi looks like um, you know at times he's he makes good tackles but he's I mean he should have been booked twice the other night he looks like he's kind of running around the place at times um, Josh Cullen is is a key player for us, but he's you know he's playing the championship. Um, Alan Brown got the goal. That's where we're at, though. Three championship players, you know. And um, I, I do wonder about the system at times. I think it's probably the the system that maybe suits the players we have best. But at, at times, I think we just look so open when we lose the ball. Um, I don't know what you think, but you know Stephen Kenny used to be a four-five-one man. It's probably my favorite system in football. Three, three at the back. I, I still do wonder at times. There was actually a moment in the thirty-third minute. I was just looking back today where we lost the ball in midfield. There was really nothing on, and within a second, Doherty's totally out of position, and we've this massive, massive hole in the left hand side. And I can't remember the Norway player, but he should have done way better through on goal. And it's just an example when we when we lose the ball, we seem to be vulnerable almost straight away. David Meyer is back. David, do you want to finish your point there? Sorry, sorry. This drop the line drop. No, but even just listen to Johnny there. But if like if you want to play a back five, back three, whatever way you want to call it, right? It's the same thing. Now the width comes from your wing backs. Now they inevitably have to be the ones they're going to create. Now, I don't think the formation is the issue. Like the other night we had success, we had joy, albeit like Callum would be the first to admit his end product wasn't good enough. He got into good areas. Matt I, there's a lot more in the, in the locker. You know, I mean, we've certainly seen Matt. Like, that position is made for Matt. We've seen that time after time with Wolves over the years. It suits him. Like, there is part of what Dan says, the mentality. Now, I can't speak on behalf of each player, but I know the feeling of going into those games when you look at, like, right, you factor in, we're, we're not going to the World Cups. So you're playing these friendlies. A lot of their teammates who weren't playing internationals will have gone on holidays with their families because... Clubs will have breaks. Now, other clubs are in training, but they'll have a break after. There will be that little bit. Now, there will be, don't get me wrong, a lot that will be care an awful lot that will want to play those games for Ireland. But there will be a little bit of doubt in a few. Like, on the game, I was speaking about, like, our two midfielders, like um, Malumbi and Alan Brown, at times they were too high. They were crowding the spaces. Now, like, if you're going to play that way in a dominating, a possession-based kind of football... You have to be expansive. You have to make the pitch as big as possible. 
And if you do turn over possession, you are going to leave yourself vulnerable. Now, the difference in playing in a friendly or a qualifier is there's that little bit, well, hmm, in a qualifier, you'd expect players to be sprinting and you know bursting a gut to get back into position. And at times, I, I do agree with you, we are wide open, but if you want to play that way where you're dominating and you pin teams into their own half, then you need your wing backs high pushed on. You need your outside center half split wide. You need your eights pushed up and you need your, your, you know, your nine and 10, obviously offering a thread in behind or defeat, but you're going to have to be expansive. Um, like the frustrating thing for me was once we kind of got towards the final third, we're crying out for that creative player. Now we've been crying out for that player for a long time. Like the best example was probably Wes Hoolan for a long time. He had that ability to see a pass and be able to pull it off. We don't have that at the moment. Like that's, that's the part we're getting into good areas, but you know, we do sustain attacks well. We do pick up second balls. We do retain. Um, but at the, at the same time, you want to see more efforts. You want to see more chances, you know? Our 3106, once we engage, come on, football has a bad engagement. Four wins in 25 matches and still the excuses. It's getting tiresome, says Michael. And also, a fan's view, a wasted opportunity to plan unproven players versus Norway. I think he says play. I think that's what he means. Exemplified by Hendrick coming on, plus a huge number of Irish players waving hands at each other. Something didn't work about the game plan. From David and Brea, an FAI season ticket holder, Kenny's last campaign is the sting in this tale. I wouldn't worry about the the Norway game. Like Calmo Dowda played left wing back, um, you know, you did front two who I'm not sure they've ever played together before. Um, and I I I think I I don't know what you think about this, David, but like it must not be easy for these players to develop this chemistry all of a sudden. When even you look at our three midfielders, like they're they're three players who are essentially playing at championship level, um, if they're getting games at all, and it's like it's it's not easy just to all of a sudden fit into a system. And then you have a new left wing back, um, you have a new strike partnership up front. You know, it's for me, you can't expect miracles against a decent side. No, to a certain extent, no, you can't, but. Okay, look, you can you can speak about players playing the championship, but even the time we qualified for France in sixteen, we players playing in the championship, mm. we players playing in the Premier League. Now, I think that's that's a kind of a cheap excuse almost in a way, like because players these are good young players, and they're more than capable of playing at this level. Um, like it's going to be like don't don't get me wrong. Once the you know the next campaign starts, you've got the French and the Dutch coming. That's a total different opposition. You know you've got squads littered with Champions League players, which is a totally different level. Um, like you talk about chemistry, that's where, touching on Dan's point, that's where these friendlies do matter. Like as Stephen said, it's better to have a game than not have a game because it's more time for him to work with the players and keep like keep drilling in, you know, the information of what he wants and what he's trying to achieve. Now you can you can talk about you can talk about results, right? It is a results driven business. I get that. And in, if this was a club level, then the manager would be under pressure. And I don't think Stephen would shy away from that. But at the same time, like, I've been I've been in favour of Stephen since the start. Now, I've always harped on the point that I see a bigger picture. I, 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 I'm trying to look ahead. Now, this qualifying campaign coming up that will start in March is huge for him. That's going to be inevitably the one that dictates whether or not he stays on longer. Like, you... There's almost a part of me feels that Stephen's doing a lot of the groundwork now that even if, you know, after this campaign, if Stephen were to move on, if the FAI were to make a decision, I felt I feel the next person who was to come in, who would come in after him would reap the benefits of, totally. of the work he has done. And 
like you've got you you still got a lude like 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 it's just mad. Like Evan Ferguson came on the other night, right? Like I'm coaching with the Irish under seventeens. Like three years ago, I had Evan as a striker. Like that kind of gives me an insight now of like all these young boys and like I speak to the coaches with the seventeens, like like the, the array of talent that are in that's in the first team now they had, which makes me think like, wow, like these kids were there five years ago. Like your Knights, your Malumbis, Daryl Shays, uh, Andrew Amadamavelli, I hope I pronounced that correct, Adam Ida, Troy Parrick, Gavin Bazoon. Like they all came through the 17s. Nathan Collins is another one. I can't forget him. But like four or five years ago, they were playing under 17 football. You know, like it's not like, like if this group were, you know, all 26, 27, 28, then okay, you could have a lot of question marks, but they're still very young and they're still learning about international football, like it's going to take, it's going to take you the bones of, I'm going to say probably 20, 25 caps to really get the gist of it. Or if you've been around it a long time, like I have 26 caps, but if you look at it, like my first cap came in 2012, do you know what I mean? I was in and around it and I was very fortunate because I had huge senior players like your Robbie Keane, Shea Given, John O'Shea, like all those fellas. Now, I'm not saying like the lads of Seamus Coleman, James McLean, right, Jeff? They'll they'll be great for the young lads. And I guarantee if you've got any young lad, they'd say they'd be superb with them. We know the type of character Seamus is. But it's going to take time. They're they're still awfully young. And that's where I think like I'm looking at the big picture. If Stephen like is given time to work with these players, like it might not be next qualifying campaign. It might be, you know, the World Cup in 26. Like, and that's the sorry truth of it, because these lads are all, what, 2021, 22. I'm talking about like three, four years time when they're 25, 26, where they should be hitting their primes. Like we're looking for an awful lot now. Um, but I understand football is a results business. Look, I was a professional for a long time. I get that. But I, when Stephen took over, you had a lot of people who were who were all for him. You had people who were no from the offset. Now, some people have changed and I get that. But like, is it not better just to get behind your country and support them? You know what I mean? Okay, uh, David. Here's my rant. No, 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 it's it's fine. Five three one sixty one. I react to what David's saying there. Just some sports news. A Plutar, the Cheltenham Gold Cup Soft. winner, pulled up in the Betfair Chase at Haydock, two to one on Rachel Blackmore. Maybe the horse made a mistake from the comments. It, it might have, but pulled up. That is a big shock in horse racing today. Protectorat, fifteen to two, has won the race for Dan Skelton and Harry Skelton in the colours, uh, part owned by Alex Ferguson. I was interviewed afterwards and looking very, very fresh. Looks like he could go straight back into management. Well, there you go. Maybe he needs to. Um, just to give you some other updates, another shock coming from rugby. Uh, Georgia had beaten Wales in an international today by 13 points to 12. So uh, that's a turn up for the books uh, in Cardiff. Italy 21, South Africa 63, also full time. Torla Strand of Sligo into the Connacht Club football final. They beat St. Mary's of Leitrim by eight points to six. And we also have John Ram leading the DP World Tour Championship with one round to go on 15 under par. But Rory McIlroy is lurking on 12 under. Uh, Constitution Hill, a non-runner in that Carl Hurdle at Ascot, which was won by Goshen at 6-5. to five. And Midnight Run was the big winner of the big race today. 7-4 to four shot in the Craddockstown novice chase at Punchestown. Brian Cooper for trainer Joseph O'Brien. Off the ball Saturday, football Saturday, back after the break with Dan McDonnell. Johnny Ward and David Myler, get your predictions in for the World Cup. Who's going to win it? 5-3-106. Who will be the player of the tournament? And who's going to take the golden boost back after this? 
And welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five this evening. This is Football Saturday. Remember, football and off the ball brought to you by Sky. Watch big games and the Women's Super League live on Sky Sports. You can text us 53106, tweet us at Off the Ball. We're streaming the conversation as well. Listen across the country on your radio and News Talk. Watch us on the digital and social channels for Off the Ball on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and on the OTB Sports app. We're joined in studio by the broadcaster and journalist Johnny Ward and on the line from Malta by Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent and the former Republic of Ireland International. David Myler, 53106. Come on, lads, we're turning into Arsene Wenger with our football team. Pretty patterns and no cutting edge, says Connor. Another of our textures, far too many excuses for Stephen Kenny. Ireland are not improving under him. Another one, why play out from the back, I assume, is to create space further up the pitch by drawing the opposition out. But what do we actually do with the space? Indeed, uh, it seems to me that the vulnerability it creates at the back isn't being justified. That's uh, a fair point. Uh, five three one six. Hi lads, I love football. I played it. I was a coach, finally a manager. I got to loads of local matches, but I will not be watching a single game of this dirty, tainted World Cup. Qatar is a despicable state. I'm totally against them hosting. Says Paul and Kildare. And another one. Uh, we have the absurdity of the Western press against Qatar is laughable. Yes, there are issues on workers' rights, but to complain about the heat, etc. Anyone ever thought how cold it was for the Africans in the World Cup in Europe? This is all about the arrogant Western world thinking it's all about us. Respect folks whose culture is different from yours. Sorry, how cold it was for the Africans in Europe? Were we, play, were we playing in like Vladivostok or what? Like, <laughs> Sorry, in, in the summer? I, I mean, I think the, the the hypocrisy is a fair point, JD. I mean, we don't have seem to have an issue with like a lot of our countries doing deals with Saudi Arabia, but we'll give out about the Qatari World Cup. Saudi Arabia is an even worse regime. So there is a lot of what about me, but I don't think we're playing World Cups in conditions such that the Africans like were unable to deal with it. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, Dan McDonald, uh, the press conference, I believe, has been postponed or delayed. So uh, you're back with us from Malta. Um, on the football itself, Dan, who do you see as the likely winners out of this? Uh, let's get down to the real. Let's chat. get let's get down to the real. <laughs> we've, we've we've talked about Qatar enough till we're blue in the face. So who do you see then, Dan, as the main contenders? Brazil, Argentina, France. Are they in your top three? Um, are they your top three, John? I think you've put, you've put them. You, I think that's what you've done there. Um, Alison, I, I, you know, we we would have obviously if you would have had a pull out on it in the paper today, and and, and you would have given your predictions, and I have gone for. Brazil within that um, not necessarily but huge conviction like there's no maybe there's no one outstanding European team like if you think about it like the European champions didn't qualify um, England were the finalists and uh, you know their form has gone off a cliff a little bit um, you know France got relegated like France probably the best squad albeit with a couple of injuries they've got relegated in the Nations League you know Spain getting better but is it too soon so you, you, you know, it's sort of um, there seems to be no outstanding team amongst them, and that's possibly why Brazil and Argentina look so attractive. Um, but it's also because they've got very good squads. I mean, they have sort of long, you know, Argentina have that long unbeaten record. You know, Brazil have a pretty solid one as well. Now, I know that the issue with Brazil, I think Tim Vickery's made that point. You know, they, they were desperate to try and play games against teams in Europe and haven't been able to arrange them. COVID has uh, complicated that. So, in terms of the form guide, I think it was Joe who said it during the week. It's like an old school Cheltenham where you've got like the Irish form and the English form. You know, you've got the South American form and the, the European form and you're waiting to see how relevant it is. Um, but I think Brazil, you look at the squad that they have, um, you look at the options they have, they seem to have a couple of different ways to adapt and play. You wouldn't be concerned about the conditions if it does become grueling. Um, and like even you look through their squad and some of the options they have, you know, Martinelli, Rodrigo, um, Anthony, uh, more, more maybe 
fringe players in some instances who don't even have 10 caps yet, like Guimaraes in Newcastle. Um, and that sort of shines a light on the depth of the options that they have. Um, and clearly there seems to be that debate over how attacking are they going to be? Will they need to rein it in? And they do have a tough group. They have a tough route. Um, but maybe that's something that sort of sharpens them up. Like they have to play Serbia, Switzerland in the group stage. Um, potentially even a tricky round of 16 with um, Uruguay or Portugal. But it might just be off off a limited preparation. They might have all the attributes just to get it done. But it's not, I'm not sort of... Um, it's, it, there's always an element of guesswork with this. I mean, we watch a certain amount of international football, but but not in such a way that you have a, a really definitive and strong view on the hierarchy. It's almost like the group stages helps to establish that. 8-7, uh, Argentina leads Scotland in the rugby at Murrayfield. Uh, who's going to be the Willie Mullins then of this World Cup, uh, <laughs> I suppose, is the question. Uh, Dan, who do you see as the dark horses, maybe the teams that could uh, outperform their expectations? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it seems to be a, a, a view that Uruguay could go well. Um, again, they have a little bit of the old guard in their squad. Um, you know, Suarez, Cavani, Diego Galán, but they have sort of younger players. I mean, Valverde, Darman Nunes, and they're again they're in a side of the draw that if they can win their group, um, they, you can see them plot on a path. I think Denmark could go well. Again, are they? I mean, are they even dark horses anymore? Um, I think we see them that way because of a sort of traditional perception of them, but they were, uh, and we also played them every three months. But they they're they're in the they were in the semi final of the last Euros on merit, despite having lost their best player and obviously well documented reasons. So um, I mean they've beaten France in the Nations League this year, and they're in the group with France. If they can if they can somehow finish top in that group, the path opens up for them. So they'd be a couple, but I'm not even sure they really. Um, Dark, dark horses in the sense of like they're 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 probably in the top ten teams in the tournament. I don't know if anyone else can pluck out someone who's going to completely surprise us. I think a lot of people seem to think Japan would be. It just so happens they've gotten the group with Spain and Germany, so um, they might just be very very unlucky because otherwise in another group they could have been they could have been that team. And Dan, of the teams that might be in decline, who could be in that maybe picture? Are Belgium one of those? Are England one of those? Or uh, I don't know. Um, like it depends. You know, are they are they? Um, <laughs> you know, going back to racing parlance again. Like are England and France and the Kleiner have just been laid out for this all year. You know, like is it is it laid that out sense? For of, <laughs> yeah. You know, is it is it the On sense? The dirt track. Like, they're, not, they're not going to turn up in green and gold. You know, but there is there is that sense of. Um, like did you know we view the Nations League as very important because it generally is for like aspirations that, that you would have um, if you have the sort of arrogance of England and France that you know you're going to qualify for tournaments pretty much anyway does it really matter if your results are that bad now Southgate was nearly pushed to the brink by some of it um, but they are the two obvious teams that are in the decline I know what you're saying about Belgium um, the, the golden generation is 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 getting older and whether they have the transitional ability, you know, to, to sort of manage it. Although you still, you still feel like you're going to get to a knockout tournament scenario. They have exceptional players for Belgium that can turn it on for a given game. Probably they just tend not to back it up. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm like England again, if they can win the group, they have, again, they have a kind enough route um, to potentially play one of Senegal, Qatar or Ecuador in the round of 16. And, you know, to get by whoever that may be if they win their group. But I think USA are, like, tricky. They have a couple of tricky games in there. But then they're in the quarterfinals, and then it's knockout football. So um, as much as I think they possibly are in a bit of decline, 
they've got a kinder route than some maybe better teams might have and it could carry them a certain amount of the way. David Myler, what's your take on England? Um, I'm torn, JD. Like, after the year they've had, and I think, like, obviously, once the opening game kicks off and a ball is kicked for England, you know, they'll be singing it's coming home. So they're getting super excited. I, th- I, I think they'll get knocked out in the last 16. Right. I think they'll get through their group and I think they'll hit a brick wall in the last 16. I think that's as far as they'll go. If they manage to get through the last 16, I mean, my words, they won't get past the quarterfinal. Definitely won't. What 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 is the what is the what's the negative for England? Is it the lack of quality defenders? Is it Southgate's tactics? Is it is he doesn't know his best team? Is it the shape of the team? Is it the goalkeeper? What 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 has you um, setting English stock on this live radio show? I I think the problem he has is his formation. I think he has a lot of quality forward players that like he doesn't know how to fit the right players into the right like right places. I think that's one big problem he has. Um, like how do you get Sterling Kane Foden like then they need the creative spark of Madison do you know what I mean you need you don't just need one or two players creating you need three or four and then who does he play in midfield he'll play Rice and Bellingham but like then there's just so many like they're blessed with talented players like you then you know you've got Grealish Mason Mount like how does he fit those players with the back five then you play the three and a half so you kind of lose one um I think that's, he's almost like, let's have a clean sheet and then nick a goal as opposed to let's go. And like, I look at England and think the players that they have, that they should be on the front foot trying to, certainly against a lot of nations they'll face, that they should be on the front foot going at them um, kind of in a four, kind of a four-two-four kind of system, whether it be four-triple-two or with wide men. Um, or you know wingers coming inside. Um, I, I think they have the players, and I think that's one thing that lets them down. They look to be solid, um, and that's why he plays the back five. Bellingham is somebody that you'd have to think has to have a role in the team, David, don't you? Oh, one hundred percent. I think um, you've seen his performances for Dortmund in the Champions League. Like to think of a, of a young boy, um, the level of maturity he plays with. Um, his quality in in and out of possession, his 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 range of passing, like he likes to score, he gets up and down for ninety minutes. Um, he seems a fantastic lad off the pitch. Like yeah. I remember the time, obviously when he left Birmingham, he went to Dortmund. You kind of you'll always look at those moves at the time, thinking that's an interesting one because you're never leaving home, going to Germany, a country where you don't speak the language. Um, but he took on the challenge and like he he, he flourished. Um, at Dortmund, like I would be surprised next summer if somebody comes and spends anywhere between 100 and 150 million on him. Dan, we're going to have to let you go because um, this press conference will eventually happen. But uh, tomorrow against Malta, would you expect changes in personnel from Stephen Kenny, freshening it up a bit? There probably will be, John. I think there'll be a couple of uh, changes. I'm not sure if there'll be a dramatic amount, so probably like three or four maybe. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll learn more in due course. I mean, Evan Ferguson got a few minutes during the week, so he might get a few more. Um, maybe some rotation in, in, in some departments um, but maybe not like sweeping ones but as we sort of said earlier like um, you, know, you, you can take certain things from it without it being a fixture of, uh, of, of, of great magnitude Okay Dan by the next time we speak you'll be in Qatar so enjoy it and safe travels Thank you
Dan McDonald, Eric Norris, Independent. I think one of the and Dan was saying about uh, what are the what, what are we not what are we not expecting that's going to happen? I think it's the heat is a big thing. I'm looking at Morocco, Croatia, one o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday, and I'm thinking to myself that could be one of the shocks of the group stage. I do think this is going to be a substantial factor in this World Cup. Just just looking it up there, it's it's 28 degrees, we'll say, forecast for sort of the next few days, so that's uh, that's fairly manageable. But and then the humidity, though. Humidity, bad. yeah, and um, it, it, obviously it's an unknown because, uh, you know, you look at... Uh, the, the record of like Latin American teams when they come to Europe is so bad. What's what are European teams going to be like? I mean, even if you look at Iran, Iran are in England and uh, Wales's group. Like Iran could be sort of dark horse to get out of that group because you'd imagine that they'll under Kuros they're going to be very defensive, but that they will cope with conditions. Um, and I, I I don't know, JD. I'm speculating here, but I imagine the it's going to be hot, even though it's November. It's going to be hot, and it probably will be a struggle for some of the um, some of the European teams. It's interesting as well that. This is a World Cup taking place where the players aren't like or shouldn't be like wildly over the top like other World Cups, but they're actually in the middle of the season, which is is a kind of a strange wipe. I'm sure FIFA put a lot of thought into that in terms of the quality of. And the- also wondering about the players who maybe have not obviously admitted it or, or shown it, but have taken it a bit easy. Yeah, oh, totally. And I, I think like I know Richardson, for example. I think Richardson's gonna have a really big World Cup. Nobody agrees with me, but I really do think but, it. like he, ju- he, like he got a minor injury. He only we came back seen him for like what a month nearly. But now. he only came back last week. Yeah, uh, he scored seven goals in his last six games. He's going to lead the line for Brazil. Nobody expects this to happen, but he's going to be the. the he's going to start anyway. Now, he might not end up at that, but mm. he's going to be the guy who's going to lead the line. Like players like Van Dijk, I think could have a big World Cup. Messi, Messi's the one where Messi's yeah. probably been. Neymar has been playing really, really and has well. Been playing well, Messi. Yeah, I mean, Canary a great piece today about like the the Qatari influence extending as far as like PSG where you've got this club paying I mean what how much money is Mbappe on it's like 600 grand a week is it? <sighs> like utterly insane and you've these three players playing for PSG who are so central to the World Cup um, and sort of particularly in the in the shape of Messi has been in form and has probably been thinking this is my chance to kind of crown my legacy uh, if it doesn't happen for Megacy <laughs> it doesn't happen for Megacy if it doesn't happen for Messi that's fine um, yeah, because okay. he's probably still the best player of all time but that's a narrative that hopefully uh, might happen Okay folks your predictions to the World Cup your winner your golden boot anything dark horse or anything surprising that you might see at this World Cup in terms of the football itself David Myler and Johnny Ward will be with us after four on Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk Good Football Saturday and you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five this evening. This is Football Saturday. Remember, Football and Off the Ball brought to you by Sky. Watch big games in the Women's Super League live on Sky Sports. You can text us 53106. Tweet us at Off the Ball. Listen across the country on News Talk on your radio. But also, you can watch us on the digital and social channels for Periscope on Twitter at Off the Ball, YouTube, Facebook, and on the OTB Sports app. Joined in studio by Johnny Ward, the broadcaster and journalist, and on the line by the former Republic of Ireland international David Myler. 53106. Uh, Latara Martinez uh, for the Golden Boot get on and Uruguay is a dark horse as Michael and Kerry uh, Brazil or Argentina to win the World Cup Portugal, France third and fourth hot on to be dark horses and Neymar to be the player of the tournaments as Nigel in Dublin Hi, let's go Dutch the players unit for Van Hal, even though the Dutch can be oddly chaotic says Brian well, I don't think they will be this time I think they've got a united squad don't they uh, David Myler, so you've kind of gone through England and your, your scepticism of the balance of the England team um, I suppose our other neighbours Wales uh, where St. Patrick's from? Um, <laughs> what do you think Go about the Wales. What do you think about the Welsh, David? Wales Wales are always a team that kind of surprise you with these tournaments, aren't they? Yeah. Like you look at them in Euro sixteen. Um, oh, I, I could see Wales getting out of that group. Could you? Yeah, okay. Um, Which would be an achievement for them, wouldn't it? Really? Yeah, 
it's just I like they they're similar in so many ways to like Ireland and the way we are. Um, that you know, I mean, they'll they'll play and they've they've got a bit of star quality. They play with passion and pride. Um, they'll get out of the group, and I think that will be the end of their journey. Yeah, Gareth Bale is so crucial for them. It's 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 a funny one. He's been able to do it for Wales, even though his career is is, is probably at like a, in a, in a battery terms in your phone five percent. Yeah, that's that's probably the, a very good way to put it, JD. But he's always come up trumps when they've needed him, and he's produced you know, magical moments with goals. And no doubt that, like you spoke there before the break about players resting, Bale will have been one of those that will be resting up because. You know what it means to the Welsh people um, when they qualify for the World Cup. Um, so this is kind of his hoorah, I imagine, for Wales and kind of obviously playing out in LA. Um, he's got his his feet up on the beach. So I imagine it's a it's a final kind of final dance for him. So I think he, he'll come up trumps in the group for them, and I think they'll get out of that. And I think he'll be he'll be the main Welsh player. Uh, in terms of your assessment of the leading contenders, Brazil, Argentina, France, mm. uh, Spain, Germany, David, who do you like at the top? I like Brazil. Um, I, I, I like the way that they're... I like the balance of the group. Um, obviously, they've got then the quality of Neymar. Vinicius is in good form for the, probably the last 12 months. Like, they've got the players. Um, they've got the squad. Like, I kind of... They kind of... Like Neymar is the diva of the group, um, and I think that these players have been around him for long enough that they kind of know what, he, what he's like. So I expect them to go deep into the tournament. I expect them to be there, thereabouts. I would love Argentina to win it. I would love Messi to win it, kind of for him, just to kind of cap off those last few question marks about it. is he the greatest of all time? That's just my opinion, but certainly if, if he were to win the World Cup, then would cement that um, and I don't think anyone could ever say anything ever again the, and you, um, what do you think the atmosphere will be like at the games David like, did, have you seen those videos circulating of the Qatari people like singing like and they look like migrant <laughs> workers as well without trying to like say oh they're from yeah. here there, but they look like paid migrant workers yeah it looks so staged like there, there was one video I seen like of like it looked like Qatari people dressed in Brazil gear coming through the airport, like going, come on, Brazil. Like, it was a bit like... Yeah, there's been reports and there's kind of... Um, about like, who knows, like who knows? Paid fans. We, we, don't, we, don't know, we don't know for certain what the situation yeah. is, but... I hope they were paid because they, they were bloody well bad at it, like. Uh, <laughs> no. And then there's reports but, as well about fans who were promised, um, you know, compensation to, to, to come to the... And then they're, they're not getting it now. It's just... The whole thing is so cloudy and you really don't know what the full facts are of the situation, but... I suppose it just kind of it feeds into the whole kind of sense that there's an artificiality about the whole bloody thing. Just to put it in no other terms, um, it's just a shit show. Mm, yeah, that's what it is, and that's excuse that's, the language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, JD, but I just that's what it is. Like the whole thing is just a mess. Like, um, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, like, wait, what? I know Johnny. You asked about the atmosphere. Like, even if you look at the quality, like. Okay, the South Americans, some of them will be very familiar with playing in, you know, hot climates or whatever. Um, and then, obviously, you've got the hu- humidity to deal with. I think second halves of games are going to be awful. That's kind of where I go with that. And then you look at the crowd. 
like if you've ever been at any sporting event and the sun is shining on you know your side of the stadium it's really hard to watch a game or to enjoy a game because you're baking in the heat they're all on hurling final i tell you i had to go into the shades that was a hot day i was working here that day that was i i've never there's nothing worse there's nothing worse than when you're sitting directly in the sunlight on like watching a game and you're just baking and the sweat's pouring off You, you you can't even enjoy the game and i think i think the atmosphere there'll be a buzz around certain games don't get me wrong if, uh, if a certain nation draws another one if brazil were to play argentina or england were to play germany or england wales and you know, there'd be a buzz with those games but like i think i think a lot of it will be flat yeah well no, I, I really do yeah there's tens of thousands of mexican fans apparently have, have traveled to qatar I, I i think i think from that perspective there'll always be and you'll have you know teams you'll have fans of teams that go further in the tournament than they will expect going out there so i actually think yeah. that'll be all right i have to say mm. like the the middle east is uh i mean the, the they're infatuated with football in a lot of these places um remember Eamon Zayed went over to play in uh, Tehran and he was there like 80,000 at games over there and remember when Ireland played there um, in the playoffs uh, the, the I think the stadium was full for like four hours beforehand and some of these countries are infatuated but particularly countries where there isn't great wealth and the Qataris are extremely wealthy people so like football is probably you know they go along to the game and they'll wave the flags of whatever their adopted country is that isn't Qatar uh, in the ground but um, I don't think it's going to be particularly memorable, and the the cringe of these the local fans like singing "It's Coming Home" is just like oh god. Uh, what about France, David? Uh, a huge amount of talent: um, mm. Benzema, Mbappe, Kamavinga, Shimeni coming into the midfield now. Obviously, if if Pogba and Conte are not there, they have the squad. They have a manager who believes in structure, but it's just that I, I just let's get the sense or feeling that it's not all happy and fluid and smooth at the French at the moment No I agree with you JD and look obviously they're reigning champions so they're going into this to defend their and their crown and we've always seen the previous holders haven't done well the following you know competition so it will be interesting like they on paper they have one of the best squads they have all all the players and the players have been there they've done it before but it's just it strikes me as a group of like Certain individuals have massive egos, and Bappe being the prime example. If something's not going his way, and as you said there, Deschamps is a particular type manager where he likes structure, routine. Like he doesn't like his fullbacks going too far forward. Like he's very much in that camp where I spoke about Southgate, where they want to have a clean sheet and we build from there because they have the players. Like France are one that you could see going and it all clicking and being superb and going all the way to the final, or you could see them just having a nightmare. Um, I'd like to think that with the players they have that they should be able to progress quite deep into the tournament. But, you know, this is, this is a lot of good nations and a lot of good sides that you just don't know. Um, but I, I'd, I'd expect them to go far. I will also have breakout stars you always do at a World Cup, Mbappe being the key one in the last World Cup as a 19-year-old, David. There'll be players like uh, Jamal Musiala, uh, Cody uh, Gakpo of the Netherlands um, Pedri maybe has already broken out as a star of Xavi of Spain uh, these are the players that w- will be looking as not only the current generation but the future generation anybody catching your eye in that regard we already spoke about Jude Bellingham yeah there's, like all the players you've mentioned you're excited to watch but I always find from like from different nations like you remember Sweden had Isaac I remember watching him being excited about him 
but I knew relatively nothing about him before the tournament. Like at the moment, there's there's not many that have jumped out by the ones you've mentioned. Mentioned, sorry. There's always two or three surprises I find. Um, so in that in in those regards, I'm kind of excited to see watch games and kind of see what player. And then all of a sudden, like you'll see the Premier League clubs are being linked, and that's kind of the excitement of these games. That sometimes you you find a player that you didn't know a lot about who might be playing in Italy with a lesser team or something like that. You know what I mean? Or they're and a German. Germans are always good for certain players, but it'll be interesting. Any team that you think might uh, disappoint that is expected to do well? England. Right. Um, ooh, like I, I fully expect the Germans to do better than they have done. Um, Why is that? Like, I just, I don't know. I just have this feeling that they're going to have a good tournament. Like, there's not a lot of talk about them. Um, all the talk is kind of, like, over the UK. It's around England, obviously. Like, people are mentioning Brazil, Argentina. Like, Germany, I just feel, are always kind of ones that do well in tournaments. So I could see them potentially going on to win this. Um, albeit, I, I still think Brazil are kind of my number one pick. Um, like, even the Netherlands, you just don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, I I think um, Germany might lack a striker. Uh, Timo Werner is obviously injured, and uh, they've got a seventeen-year-old lad at the moment from Dortmund uh, who, who who's come into the squad. But um, look, the Gnabry's in goal-scoring form, scored a hat trick recently. Um, you have experience in the team. Rudiger obviously in defence. Um, I think the key thing with a lot of these uh, teams in the World Cup is the quality of the managers. And I think Hansi Flick is a Champions League winning manager. That'll stand to Germany. Uh, but do they have the firepower? That's the same uh, maybe challenge that Spain will have with Luis Enrique, mm-hmm. once again, a Champions League winning manager. But do they have the striker? Is Alvaro Morata going to be the star of the World Cup from a uh, striking point of view? Possibly not. And the Netherlands have that challenge as well. But once again, Louis van Gaal has a fantastic record with the Dutch uh, as a coach. Apart actually from the campaign when we when we pipped them in two thousand and one, um, but they have very solid defence. Virgil Van Dijk, um, Frankie De Jong pulling the strings in the middle of the park. Um, so you can see what the easy run that they have through Group A, um, unless they end up playing England in the last sixteen, that they could they could go far in the tournament. Um, Five three one zero six. Darwin Nunez could well be a star at this World Cup, and you would have seen quite a bit of him from uh, watching Liverpool, David. Yeah, and Uruguay are always a team. They always seem to be. In around the quarterfinal, something kind of happens to them. Like they've got, as you said, Valverde, Nunes. Um, they've got some very good players playing with, you know, top clubs. Um, Nunes is one kind of, the start of the season, there was always going to be that comparison um, with Haaland. Like Haaland has kind of broken records, set the Premier League alight and made it look easy. But Nunes has actually done extremely well for Liverpool, barred the sending off. Um, his goal, you know, contribution um, is like every 80 minutes, which is which is very good. So, like, I think a lot of Liverpool fans will be excited to watch him and um, to see how he gets on. Of course, you know, there's the will he score enough goals? And you know, he certainly looks like a fellow who wants to score goals. So, it will be interesting to see how he gets on. He's someone I'm looking forward to because I think he will have a bright future at Liverpool. 
53106, uh, speaking of Bacon Heat, uh, watching a match, I once went uh, to Sevilla Malaga, once went the Andalucian derby, best atmosphere I've ever been in from the home Sevilla fans, but the away Malaga supporters were sat up high in the sun and the heat, they could barely get a chant out, it was carnage, says one of our texters. Another one is not ultimately the case that Neymar lets his team down when he's the main man, I think Argentina are probably the team with the fewest flaws in Messi, winning the trophy, the only outcome that can put any sort of gloss on the competition, says Tom. I wonder, folks, if the 10,000 Mexican supporters will have a drop of tequila under the sombrero, says Adam, <laughs> uh, says Dermot, rather. Uh, it is interesting, though. Like It hasn't happened yet, and there has been a fair bit of, you know... Uh unsavoury stuff in terms of bad publicity um, you know that I mentioned that incident with the reporter you know, I think he was a Dutch reporter who knows it was funny watching the, how the Italian authorities dealt with the English fans this was at, at the you know coming into 1990 at the end of the 80s and they made the decision to maroon them over in the island for the group yeah stages. I never knew that until mm. I watched the documentary this is an Italian anti-documentary amazing documentary that's yeah. worth watching as is FIFA Uncovered which mm. is excellent is on Netflix but you know in, in the sense of how they're going to if there is this influx of fans from all these various countries um, it'd be too hot to do Anything. Yeah, like it's not. I mean, it's not in the middle of the summer. It's still it's twenty eight degrees. So I mean, that's that's it's comparable to the day you were in Crow Park. Like it's bad, but it's um for for the for the, you know over there. I'm sure they'll be able to deal with it. But you know, Qatar probably has never experienced anything like this. It's effectively something of a police state. Like all these you know madcap regimes over there. How are they going to deal with all these fans? I don't know. I I, I I'm sure there is there are going to be instances. Anyway, yeah, well, uh, I know before it all went so terribly wrong with Russia being there that um, everybody was so well behaved because there was a tremendous police presence and mm. army presence there that you just wouldn't step out of line in any way. And they were the army and the police were escorting all the fans from the stadium in Moscow to the metro. Um, and another point, another of our texters, Neymar, uh, having been very privileged to see him up in the flesh, Neymar is a fantastic footballer. He's, he's an unbelievable footballer who's in form at the right time. He knows that 30 years of age is his last chance. Um, Messi's 35. Yeah, so I think that Neymar is going to have a big World Cup. Mm. Um, another texter says, guys, I think uh, Cody Gakbo, uh, this is a PSV Eindhoven player, will be one to watch given the group that Dutch are in. He's my outsider for the Golden Boot. This is another of our texters. So yeah, look, I think they're going to be surprised. I think that um, Belgium, I think, are going to struggle. I think they've got an aging defence. I'm looking for Tongue and Alderweire are playing in the in the Belgian Jupiler League at the mm. moment, you know. Um, so I don't think De Bruyne, as well as he's playing at the moment, can carry them, especially with Hazard and uh, Lukaku, the light of other days. Um, Serbia are an interesting team because they've got a hero in Dragan Stojkovic, who is now their manager. Yeah, Mitrovic I- and Vlahovic up front. Ser- Serbia are definitely an interesting. They're in a one. tough group. That's a very. That's probably the, the hardest groups to get out of: Cameroon, Switzerland, Brazil. Yeah, because the Swiss are, are the Swiss and Serbia will probably be thinking. Um, you know, we'll be battling for second here, but like Serbia are one of the few teams here that I've actually seen in the flesh in recent years. A very good side, and Mitrovic. Um, I don't know. I, I I was surprised at the form. He's just he's just absolutely on a high going over there, and I imagine like Mitrovic could have very good World Cup. That's that is a fascinating group. Rigobert Song managing uh, yeah Cameroon Cameroon. Yeah. You know it's funny the sense of nostalgia. Like I'm not I'm not going to lie. I don't watch international football all the time. I mean, and I certainly don't watch you know teams like Cameroon and um, you know some of these teams. But to see Rigobert Song and some of the coaches, as you mentioned, Dragan Stojkovic, um, manager of Serbia. That that's going to be a fascinating group. But I was very impressed with Serbia against Ireland. The way they passed the ball, their their team. I think they could do well. Uh, Sergej Milinkovic-Savic uh, Dusan Tadic uh, some of the Serbian players that we might know about never reached the last 16 of a World mm. Cup unlike Croatia who reached a uh, semi-final a and relatively a final. new nation as well in the sense of yeah. coming out of Yugoslavia and that's yeah. so like um, um, 
Switzerland have got Manuel Akanji, um, obviously Manchester City now, Granit Xhaka of Arsenal, who's having a good season. Um, they're a strange team, Switzerland, in that they eliminated France, as we know, in penalties at the Euros, and then they lost uh, to Spain on spot kicks, and they beat Italy in their group to qualify for this World Cup in Italy, not making it the European champions. Um, Eric Maxim Chupamoting and Brian Mbumo of Brentford are in the uh, Cameroon ranks. So that is, uh, that, that's Group G. Uh, group H, Portugal. Ronaldo, uh, David Myler, is he just going to be the cloud over the Portugal sun? At the moment, yes. Um, but once the football starts, if he starts banging in goals, the interview and all of what's gone on will kind of get slowly pushed back to the end of the World Cup. But, like, what can you say about Ronaldo? Like, he needs to now go and just perform and concentrate on his football instead of doing interviews with Pierce Morgan. Like, it's almost... I've never seen anybody in life, um, a guy who's got 496 million Instagram followers, and by the time I finish that sentence, it's probably 497. <laughs> um, but I've never seen anybody go out, sack me, go and sack me. And even from a compensation point of view, if United have just grounds to sack him, he's going to lose a lot of money out of that. Not that he needs it, but uh, it, I, it's, it's, I suppose it's the, it's the zenith of, of the celebrity culture we're in now, isn't it, David Miner? Yeah, and like, okay, like, I've not watched the, I've not sat down and watched the full interview through. I've watched bits and pieces, and there are some valid, valid no or points he makes that you know in terms of say the infrastructure of the training ground and all that. Yeah, I get all that. <gasps> Obviously, he's aggrieved by a lot of things, um, but then there's just so much wrong with it, like, like calling out ex-teammates, what because they give him a little bit of criticism. Like there's been obviously the the videos of Wayne Rooney's criticism have recirculated and gone round and thinking, geez, that's not even that bad. Like, but he's just completely thrown his toys out of the pram. Um, he's not happy. He wants out, and he's just he's gone on a final hoorah. And the whole thing is just a mess. The interview, um, the way it's conducted, like the timing of it, like. Like there was this, that famous quote, wasn't it, with Sir Alex? Like, no, if any player thinks they're bigger than the manager, then they'll be gone. Um, and we've seen that with Sir Alex. Okay, Eric Ten Hag is totally different, but Ten Hag is taking him on. And the only winner out of this is Ten Hag because it looks justified in the decisions he's made over times. Um, albeit Ronaldo kind of claims that there's a bit of mind games going on that he's kind of toyed with him. Um, but this, this whole Ronaldo saga is just. It's grinding on my gears. I think part of Ronaldo being, you know, the sort of the asshole that he's clearly turn, turning himself out to be here is part of his greatness as well. And I, But I do wonder, J.D., how did the various great managers that had the, you know, the joy of having his brilliance, how did they manage it? Because um, It's easier to manage it because the talent is not leaving the body and that's Ronaldo can't accept that and he's raging against oh, that. You, you said that like... Months ago. Well, no, you said that. I think you said that over a year ago, maybe even. But certainly you said it last season. And no, it is true. And, you know. Can't accept it. It's, it's a, probably there's part. A, there's a rage in there. But, but like, for, for him to be as good as he has been, even up until last season, is utterly astounding. So there's something in him that is part of his makeup to make him the brilliant player that he is. But there's also something in him to make him not only unable to deal with his mortalities you're talking about, but also, you know, this is clownish behaviour like why would you even think this was a good idea go on Pierce Morgan and start giving out about sort of your, your ex-teammates and your management team whilst you've had a terrible season I mean you just you, even when you've been playing you've just not looked the player you ha- you were at all and brought up sob stories then like about his personal life that I thought were just like 
politics uh, well, but, 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 well he has had a tough on his he personal ha- he life. has but like he spoke about but, not being given like sort of the right um, sort of love for that no, like, no 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 he's been given a, he's been given a lot of leeway Ronaldo I mean oh. the, the fact that he wasn't uh, there for the preseason, um, even the fact that after the Spurs incident when he refused to come on he was made captain subsequently mm. by Eric Ten Hag so mm. I think United have bent over backwards for Ronaldo totally and he's he's paid an awful lot of money um so I, I do think there's a tone deafness and there's a narcissism to it. He's, um, there's, you know, Pierce Morgan is buddies with Donald Trump and you can almost see, like, these are similar enough interviews here where these, you know, they're, they're, there's well, narcissism. Well, well, I think, like, look, Fred Pierce Morgan got the interview. That's his job. He's a journalist and he's trying to get the world exclusives and he did that. So I, I don't have any issue with that. Oh, I have no issue with Pierce I'm just saying he and Trump, like, Ronaldo and Trump, there are actually similarities in the interviews. They're a little bit deluded and they're narcissists and <laughs> they've gone a long way in life. Yeah, this is a tangent that we're uh, definitely going on. And obviously, Ronaldo, I'm sure, would disagree with that. I'm sure Trump would as well, but um, we're not going to uh, be calling up Donald Trump here uh, on <laughs> the show. Uh, on the thing, but JD, the thing is, like, I think the biggest thing with Ronaldo is, I think Ten Hag is trying to coach the players. And I think Ronaldo can't be coached because, like, not I'm not saying he can't be coached normally, but I'm saying he he understands football. Like, look, he's one of the best footballers of all time. He just wants to play. I think Ten Hag is trying to probably like you spoke. Well, how did the other managers deal with them? Car- Carlo Ancelotti is famous for being the best man manager, and then obviously it went from Carlo to Zidane. And Zidane obviously worked under Carlos, so he understands what makes Ronaldo tick. But Zidane has a presence as a person as mm. well, you know. Mm. Yeah, 100%, 100%. But at the same time, like, they know you don't need to coach, like, you don't need to coach Ronaldo. Zidane didn't need to, like, you need to just get him on the pitch. You need him. And, like, the big thing, that one of the big things I took, like, Ronaldo is probably the most professional footballer that's ever lived. Everyone knows that. And they're there's almost that part in where he has to let get it out there in the interview that like people are questioning my pro- professionalism. Do you know what I mean? There was that one part with him and I was kind of like, surely no one is questioning that and you can see that it really bothers him because he's been so professional for his entire but, career. But isn't attitude and teamwork and being a team player and being a ed- educator and a mentor to younger players and buying into it not part of your professionalism? No, 100% I agree with you but you don't at the same time, you don't go to the same level. You don't get to the same level of Cristiano if you're not selfish. You have to look after number one. You have to do right by yourself. Um, I, I imagine Ronaldo for a long time throughout his career was never worried about helping anyone. He was just focused on what do I need to do to get myself in the best condition to play on a Saturday? Like, you know, this the Rio did an interview where he spoke about at the time when Ronaldo was, you know, obviously flying at United. He hired his own personal doctor, physio, um, chef, everything. And all the players were kind of lucky. I'm going to go, hold on a minute. But they thought, whoa, this fellow actually cares. And I think, like, there is, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff thrown at him that I don't agree with people throwing at him. But there are certain parts I fully agree. And, like, that one with professionalism, okay, there was, like, don't get me wrong, the, the whole thing about refusing to come on, walking out of the tunnel, um, that's 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 bang out of order. That's totally unacceptable. Like even the thing of leaving at halftime in a preseason game, like he said, it, like there was eight players, but because Ronaldo was one of them, it was all made about him. Which I find interesting that the other players weren't kind of brought up in the same ringer as him. But like then he said, like in previous uh, previous preseasons, players had done the same thing. That was never an issue, and he'd done it before. So there's a lot of things that. I'd like to know more about but certainly some of his professionalism in terms of what you're talking about I would question yes 
and how will that impact on Portugal? Uh, Fernando Santos still there, who uh, coached them in 2016 to win the European Championship. Johnny Ward, we haven't really got a, a sense from you who your tip for the World Cup is. Have you decided yet? Have you um, <laughs> I, I, like, I, any white smoke from the papal? I'm not going to lie. Like I, I wasn't. Even, I wasn't even sure when it was starting, and like maybe maybe you'll say what the starting hell? tomorrow at four o'clock. What John? the hell are you doing <laughs> coming on a radio show talking about the World Cup? But yeah, like I mean, next this time next week now you'll be you'll be storming in here and you'll be going, oh, did you see that? Did well, you see this? Even if say if you look at the Irish Times supplement today, the, I read it all, the cover front, to cover. Front page is like Ken Early is effectively all about football shame. Then you go in and you've like Maliki Clerken uh, speaking about something else. How Qatar secured the World Cup by Gavin Comiskey, um, which is about like just uh, the harbour. So a lot of it isn't about the football. Well, it's at twin all. track. It's a twin, twin track. track. There's a new story and there's a sports. And story. then you have the cursory, all like, and you know, part of us all wants to put that um, wallpaper, you know, and and have the tick off each game as it goes along, like we did in the past. Because um, there are, in fairness, there are amazing narratives here. The messy, the messy aspect. Christian Eriksen. I mean, imagine if Christian Eriksen had a good World Cup and Denmark did well. The whole Ronaldo saga. England going in under such a cloud. Um, Brazil with Neymar. Mbappe there's there so many narratives the fact that it is the first World Cup in the uh, in the Arab world um, in terms of who wins it uh, maybe Argentina just looking looking at the run they're on and the fact that they seem to be very I'd like a team that's strong defensively they haven't lost in ages they seem to have a system that allows Messi to kind of um, you know do his stuff even at his age and they don't kind of cough up goals I'll be very interested I know you fancy Brazil JD um they seem to be favourites every year. I, I definitely be looking f- towards a team that I think will cope with the conditions, and that that's kind of speculative, really, because it's, we don't we don't know. Like, there's never been a World Cup in Qatar before. Um, I think the likes of uh, Serbia will do well. I, they're a very good side, I think. Um, England, I, I have no idea what to expect. Um, I think they may struggle with the heat as well. I, I don't know to be honest and I've never been less interested in the World Cup and it's sad but I, I give you a week now I'll give you a week yeah you know I've I've kind of said I've lost faith in Galway United and they're like oh, you'll be back at the first game and they're, they're, maybe I will have a lot of problems at the minute on the yeah, football yeah. 36 game unbeaten run for uh, Argentina mm. they won the Copa America in Rio which was a huge thing and Messi won a tournament they hadn't won a tournament since 1993 Argentina before that Lionel Scaloni the coach uh, popular with the players uh, wasn't much of a like he was only assistant, but Yogi Love was in the same similar position with Germany when he won the World Cup in uh, 2014 after being an assistant Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, so Messi, what, seven goals in 13 league games now for PSG this season, uh, four in the Champions League, um, and they're going to play a, what, a 4-3-3 or 4-4-2. Uh, that's Argentina, who could end up... Uh, the, probably, the, the fascinating thing about this is if Denmark, who've beaten France twice in the Nation, mm. Nations League, win that group... And Argentina win their group. It's Argentina, France, the last 16, mm. uh, as it was in, in Russia. So that could be... I think you're going to get this. You're going to get the situation where you've had it in so many World Cups in the past where teams maybe not win the group and then you end up having brilliant teams against each other early in the competition, even back to 1982 and you in Brazil, actually, and Argentina in the same group in uh, in Spain. I think that there, if you're if you're trying to like form a do a form study or maybe have a, a cheeky fiver on something or other, it's just hard. There's so many imponderables there. It's in the middle of the season, which never happens. It's in um, you know, in in Qatar, in 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 strangely hot conditions for this time of year. You've all these other things to consider. And I don't, I don't care what you say in terms of the players. A lot of them, it isn't their, it isn't the back of their mind like that. This is a septic World Cup. That you know, if they've any sort of any interest in life outside of football, they'll know that this is effectively 
this World Cup has been overshadowed by um, every other conversation about it, which has nothing to do with football, and they know that. And I don't know what the atmosphere is going to be like at these games. I really don't. Qatar was the team. The first I ever came across Qatar was when FIFA had them as like this joke team that you picked to to give yourself a bit of confidence in FIFA in FIFA ninety four, whatever it was. Qatar was so bad you'd always beat them. The fact is, are I never thought they'd be having a World Cup, but here we are. But David, on the other side, if you're a footballer, you've only got a 15-year window at best to make your mark in the beautiful game that, you know, people live in the dream to going out to Qatar. You know, you know, there's players like you'd know, like Harry Maguire, Jordan Henderson, that kind of thing. So there is a selfishness to a footballer's life that they might not get this chance again. When you look at it, like even as you say there, JD, you get a 15-year cycle. You might never get a World Cup. Like, like as you said, it comes around every four years. There'll be a lot of players knowing that it's their last opportunity of playing in a World Cup was touched on there with Neymar. He feels like it could be his last one, right? Whatever. Like, like as much as you say there, Johnny, the players will obviously be fully aware of what's going on in Qatar um, and the you know the circumstances and the conditions. But once the kind of you kind of get to match day minus one, that's when everything outside goes out the window and it's just basically football training, football training. That's it. And you're focused on each game because it's it's an opportunity. If you're one of the top nations and you feel that, you know, you have the squad to go and win the World Cup, they won't care about anything else that's going on outside of what's in that 26-man squad. Um, they'll be only focused on that. Uh, 5-3-1-6, guys. Ronaldo's clearly grieving and not in the right mind at the moment. Mm-hmm. We do need to acknowledge yeah, that he's been yeah, through a very, very true. tough time, you know, um, as a human being. Uh, I'm not sure how his management have allowed him to talk to someone like Pierce Morgan. This is a cry for help more than anything else. It is so sad to see. This is one of our textures. And Fair. A good, a good point from our texture there. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we're going to take a break. David Myler and Johnny Ward here on Football Saturday on the World Cup, which starts in Qatar tomorrow with Qatar against Ecuador at 4 o'clock. One of 64 games between now and December the 18th. We're back after this. And this is Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk until 5 with John Duggan. Football Saturday on Off the Ball brought to you by Sky. Watch big games for the Women's Super League live on Sky Sports. Just looking through the rugby here. Uh, Scotland 31, Argentina 22. Remember, Ireland play Australia at 8 o'clock at the Viva Stadium and a huge shock. Georgia beating Wales earlier today by 13 points to 12 in Cardiff, one of the shocks of the day. Uh, Rory McIlroy only three shots off. John Ram now 12 under par to Ram's 15 at the DP World Tour in Dubai with one round to go. And uh, South Africa hammering Italy with a nine-try win, 63 points to 21. So they're back on the uh, winning trail after losing to Ireland a couple of weeks ago in Dublin. That's what's going on in terms of the rest of the sport. Obviously, there's no Premier League this afternoon because the World Cup is beginning tomorrow. Verstappen, Max Verstappen beating uh, Sergio Perez to the pole position of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And Turla Strand are into the final of the Connacht Senior Football Championship semifinals in Leinster in football this evening as well. We're joined by David Myler, former Republic of Ireland international and the uh, broadcaster and journalist Johnny Ward. Um, Johnny, just an interesting uh, story this week about Kerry FC joining the League of Ireland. That must be a positive for the domestic game in this country in the first division. Finally, something good to talk about. Um, yeah, it, it'll be it'll be a challenge for them, JD. They've uh, Billy Dennehy, who would have played sort of Cork City, Shamrock Rovers, and so on. He's heavily involved. Um, there are these places around the country where um, you know football is king, uh, and then there are pockets of sort of uh, other sports. Uh, and I'm I'm not sure how strong soccer is in general in Kerry where you'd often have Shane Keegan on and he'd say like there are serious soccer players in Leash and uh, Kilkenny and areas like that it, 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 Kerry is so football dominated 
Um, you know, the, the ground Montauk Park is is quite small in Tralee. It's going to be challenging, and the um, plan for the League of Ireland in terms of the stra- strategic plan, which is entirely laudable, is to have a third tier. Um, I think initially they were hoping to have it this year and now they're, or next year, and then they're, they're talking about having it the following year. There's an awful lot of work involved. To get a team, um, you know, you see... I was watching the NFL recently and there were some of the teams I was like I remember when that team was playing in a completely different city and like they can start a franchise in the US and it seems to just take off that doesn't work in Ireland you have these teams that came in like Dublin City and Sporting Fingal and Kildare County and so on like off the top of my head that joined the League of Ireland it just didn't work you don't just develop uh, fans overnight particularly in a league that you know has reasonable support but is modest enough support so Kerry is a sort of a new entity wouldn't have a prior history of um, you know people going to games it does have a prior history of underage football and um, for all that uh, you know I'm 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 I give out to you about uh, climate change and you know how you travel. Uh, it'll be we, as a Galway United fan base in Dublin. I'll now have the ability to almost like watch Galway United in Europe by flying to a game, flying to Farn Four, and then getting a lift to Tralee, as has been suggested by a few Galway United fans. It's 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 going to be an exotic away trip, and for for us first division teams that had, that essentially there are no Dublin, there's no Dublin club in the first division anymore, which is amazing. All the Dublin clubs are in the Premier Division, including UCD, and um, we don't have any games in Dublin. So we, we're, we're brought around the country and Tralee is going to be exotic and I imagine um, it's going to be interesting and I, I really do wish Kerry the best. It's not going to be easy. Do you bring in all local players? Do you bring in a mixture? How hard is it? To, how easy to attract uh, part-time players to, to, to play in a place as far away as Tralee? It's not going to be straightforward, but I wish them the best. You heard this, David Matter, Johnny's private jet from... Uh, I didn't say to, private jet. This is Ryanair flight to Farn 4, to be fair. This is the closest going night we're going to get to Europe my lifetime. We can't even get into the Premier Division. I'm just laughing. Will you be on ma- um, somebody's helicopter, like Magner's <laughs> helicopter, something down to Kerry? Um, no, but look, it's 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 exciting. It's developing our game uh, back home. Obviously, Kerry. Look, you look at the success they've had. Certainly in Gaelic football, um, a lot of those players will have certainly been able to play football at what level. I don't know, but there's obviously big talks of David Clifford, who played in Dublin for a long time. Um, like if there's an opportunity for players in Kerry to represent Kerry, of course they'll be their target audience will probably be Munster. They'll be looking for you know players in Cork, say in around there, players in Tip Clare, something who can get down. Um, it would be certainly fascinating, but it's exciting. I look at I look at the positives in that. And if you know Kerry could obviously get a team um, and get them you know going and whatever, it'll be um, it'll certainly add a new addition to the league. I, like I, we, I might be overstating this, but I think Ireland is quite unique in the sense of the amount of field sports that are available to kids, um, boys and girls, at a very early age. I've no doubt David Clifford would be an outstanding soccer player. Like he, I maybe he, maybe he could, he could play, be a rugby player as well. He could he be an amazing rugby player? I mean, you saw Tyke Furlong doing the little, um, you know, dink with the the ball uh, himself. Who himself? I think did he play? He played gas well, didn't he? Like, so you've you've players who. Well, could... Keen Lynch was a brilliant footballer. Keen Lynch was a brilliant footballer. Um, you know, you had Graham Garrity and Anthony Tohill sort of going for trials yeah, back yeah. in the day. So you've this is a problem. Like, if you're, I presume, if you're in Kerry and Gary O'Neill would be a bizarre anomaly for this. I can't remember why, but for Gary, it was always soccer, and he's become a very good player in the League of Ireland. Uh, I think he's from Tralee, and then you have. 
say the likes of Brian Cooper from Tralee who went down the role of being a jockey, but his dad is like, you know, his dad is a trainer. Um, so there are all these potential crossovers. It's, it's just if you're, I presume if you're a kid in Kerry, you're kind of born with a Gaelic football in your hand and what's left then are lads like Gary O'Neill, but it's probably a small enough pool. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Cork City as well, David, going under a change of ownership, we believe, that businessman Dermot Usher buying the club who will be um, in the Premier Division next season. Yeah, and that's obviously exciting. Obviously, whenever somebody takes over a new club, there should be an injection of cash, which would be good for Colin Healy to obviously try and bring in some new players, freshen up the squad. Obviously, after their promotion, it's going to be important that they stabilise themselves in the top division. Um, It's going to be difficult. Like the idea, that should be the the plan going forward next year. Can we stabilise there? And that's, look, it's been kind of crying out for ownership that's going to inject money. Obviously, is the issue with, you know, Turner's Cross, the training facilities. Like, as much as Ronaldo harped on about his minors, like, Cork City's are still the same, like, since I was since I was a kid. Um, and that's that's things that they need. You know, we've, we've touched on it in this show before about, you know, the infrastructure in Ireland with, you know, facilities and whatever. And Just on that, David, I, I was texting um, I was texting one of the League of Ireland managers today and uh, he was like, um, we're on about you know, getting jobs for young managers in, in we'll say, in, in, in England and so on. He said, it's, it's actually very hard to get a job for, you know, I said, well, you're actually managing in a very good league here. And he said, still miles away from it being a good league, facilities for training and stadiums are pathetic. And they absolutely are. Well, is there a direct link or there should be a direct dividend link if we're hosting the European Championship mm. matches and seven games in Dublin? There has to be surely a direct link between the money that the economy will deliver in terms of profit and developing the football. Like I, I was seeing today, like Tallis Stadium, we speak, like Tallis Stadium, if you put that anywhere in the development, world that it would be just this run of the mill 8,000 seater stadium and we're so bad in Ireland we look at Tala as this great stadium it's a bang average stadium with a lot of seats like there aren't, there aren't that many facilities in it but we're so impoverished over here like, our grounds are a joke like and as you say David Cork City's training for, like I don't know where do Cork City train Bishopstone yeah you know next to the dog track mm. like and I believe that that land is privately owned by a developer who bought it many years ago like obviously you've got access to UCC um, CIT. Um, so, like, he's sitting inevitably on a gold mine. So, that plot of land would be astronomical money for Cork City to try and buy. But mm. y- y- you look at, like, I'll never forget when, when, like, okay, Sunderland were a Premier League team at the time, but I, I'll never forget when I went to Sunderland and I walked into this training ground to sign and I was kind of going, oh my good God, what is this? Like, they have like 20 pitches, like, the facilities in the changing rooms, like the areas, like the first team of their own area, the 23s, when when I first signed, it was reserves at the time, had their own area, like the 18s have their own area. Then you have like education rooms, everything. Like it's just like it was breathtaking. Like, and then I just think like, okay, right, I get that. I went to Hull. Hull was an old bowls club, um, which was very interesting because I'd left Sunderland thinking, well, every club in the, Premier League and Championship was going to be like this, Sunderland. So then when I went to Hull, it was an old bowls club, but it had two pitches. But it was like, it was in the middle of a housing kind of estate, but it was tucked away nicely. But they did, from the moment I signed to say when I left, like the improvement in the facilities was unbelievable. Like, like it had hit the point, I think, like where it is at now, it can't go no more. Um, they'd have to move. But like they've brought it up to a state-of-the-art condition that the pitches are perfect. They're like identical replicas of, you know, the first team pitch, the MKM stadium. Or like I look at like, like Shamrock Rovers, I have no doubt have like excellent facilities to train at. 
But like you look at the rest of them, they're all falling behind. Um, and that's that's the biggest concern. And then even like as you bring in Kerry, like how will their facilities, you know, going to be? Like you said they're playing in Tralee, are they? Yeah. Like what's the stadium's capacity? Oh, it's it's a small little small little ground. And nah, even David, like, like even Daily Mount, for example, they wanted to make Daily Mount, I think it was a six thousand seater stadium, whatever, with add ons. And then it was like they were quoting like forty million or something. Like, this is a tiny stadium, like forty million. So the the cost of doing anything, we, we we need we need some kind of joined up municipal. We have so many so many issues in terms of like it's not straightforward, but our facilities in general are third world in a first world country. Uh, and, it, and I also look at this right, and obviously with these bids for the World Cup, you know, to to be a part of these bids for the World Cup, the Euros. Can you imagine if we were to make the progressive steps now? To build up the infrastructure of our stadiums and training facilities that the next time a bid comes round that they actually can go hold on a second facilities are there as opposed to like getting it and then improving them if that makes sense yeah well, well the thing about it is like we're going to get that euros in 2028 we're going to host matches in this country at a european championship the second biggest event uh, some people would argue in the world in terms of especially in terms of football if not not far off the olympics what is the link going to be between hosting these matches and delivering money for the exchequer and then putting that money into Irish football and I'd love to hear what the politicians have to say about that because surely there clearly has to be a link otherwise it's just it's just it, it's beggar's belief and I suppose the kind of the, the tone of this uh, football Saturday has been a bit subdued uh, dead from the World Cup because of what we see is the disconnect between the game we love and uh, the people who run uh, the sport and, and obviously the FAI is a new FAI but um, anyway on that note David Myler who's going to win the World Cup? Argentina and that means surely that Messi will be player of the tournament. Is that correct? Oh, he'll he'll have he'll he'll have a hat trick. If Argentina win it, he'll have a hat trick. He'll have the goal somebody, yeah, he'll he'll take everything. And your surprise team will be Netherlands. Netherlands. And Johnny Ward, your World Cup winners are uh, Qatar for having it in the first place. Um, the World Cup winners, I'll go with Argentina. I, I I, mean, I don't know how much of this am I going to watch, but it'd be nice for Messi. It'd be, I, I've so much time for Messi as a footballer. Um, yeah, I mean, when does it take place again? Tomorrow at four o'clock uh, yeah, with Qatar against Ecuador. Don't, don't, don't um, dress, dress sensibly and no beer at the stadium and just behave yourself um, and so on. I'm all in on Brazil, lads. Uh, Brazil to win the World Cup. Neymar to be player of the tournament. And Richarlison to surprise everybody. Tottenham's Richarlison. Good shout, Jamie. Winner for the Golden Boot. And I tell you, he's um, he's going to surprise people with Richarlison because he's going to start. And I don't know if he'll finish the tournament, but Brazil for, to win it for me. Thank you so much for listening, folks, this afternoon. Thank you, David. Mind yourself. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, gents. Thank you, Johnny. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership, and much more live on Sky Sports.